Morning, everybody. We're in this series called Arise. We're coming to the end of it. And in this series, we are like laying out the identity, redefining who we are as a church, trying to establish this new identity that God is calling us into. Um, and so for the last several weeks, we've been looking at what we're, uh, our discipleship strategy that we're calling Arise. Uh, and, we're, uh, and this is defining how we as a church plan to invest our energy and our effort in becoming effective disciples of Jesus. So the goal is people who are part of this church will be able to, uh, if someone was to say, what does discipleship look like your church? Or how does your church go about becoming like Jesus and living out that mission in the world? That everyone will be able to articulate the three principles, the posture that we're going to do it in, and, and the six practices that we're going to use as we walk through that. And then as we do the brainstorm later, we're going to shape the brainstorm around those six practices. So in each of those areas, what are initiatives that God is putting on your heart that may fit in with those values that can help us uh, to, to, to engage in community spiritual formation so that we can then go out into the world and be really active in the mission that God's called us to. So last week, uh, we moved into the last of our principles. So principle one, be true to Christ. Principle two, be kind to people. Principle three, be sent to the world. And there's two practices, an inward and an outward practice that help us be sent to the world. So the first one that we talked about last week is uh, standing in this posture of learning uh, and cultivating a teachable heart and, and developing disciplines and habits uh, to learn what God is teaching us, to learn what he's doing in the community around about us so that we can go out uh, and engage in the practice of mission. So today we're going to look at what does it mean to arise in mission. And to go there, I want to put up the wording that we're using uh, of, of how we're defining in this practice of mission. So here's what we said. We are committed as a church to looking outside the walls of our building to carry the gospel to those near and far, incarnating his presence, declaring his truth to all people, and building strategic partnerships to support the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Woo! <laughs> right, we're on, we're on board with this, right? I'm in the right place. Just checking. Um, but this is the goal, like, and we've, I mean, I feel like today's message is, is like reiterating what we've basically talked about for the last year, right? Um, as we went through this, this series, sent, looking at what's it look like to recover the missional impetus of the church. This is what we want to do. So a value of mission that's going to look at what does mission look like as we take the gospel and incarnate it to those near us? And then what does it look like as we support and advocate and send people to the ends of the earth to do the work that Jesus is calling us to do? So to unpack this today, I want to look at um, a really familiar passage in Matthew 9. I want to break it down a little bit um, and just remind us of, of, to some degree, what's at stake and the invitation that Jesus has given to us when it comes to mission. So we're going we're gonna to look at Matthew chapter 9. This is verses 35 through 38. Uh, you'll be familiar with this, but we'll see what God has to say about this to us today. So Matthew 9, starting at 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And if you're familiar with the context, as he jumps into chapter 10, the next verse is, so he called 12 disciples and gave them the authority to go out and preach the gospel 
and, and to cast out demons. So, so this is what he's doing. So what, what I want to look at with this is I'm going to look at just six things that are uh, in this passage, essentially, that shape our view of mission and remind us of the call that we're supposed to have and the perspective that we're supposed to carry as God's missional people in the world. So number one, Bible 101, right? Point number one, the harvest is plentiful. You've heard me say this before. Jesus says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You've heard me say this, so this is not new and shocking. I want you to think through your perspective as you look at the world round about us. As you look at the people that live on the left side and right side of your home, the people that live across your street, as you think about the school down, down the road, as you think about the neighborhood, as you think about Portland in general, is your view of Portland, this place has gone to pot, there's no hope for Portland, or is your view, the words of Jesus, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few? Jesus' instruction as he looked out over the world was the harvest is plentiful. So when I look out over the world right now, I see first and foremost fear. We are living in a world that is riddled by fear. And if we were just to take coronavirus as one example, because it's the, the, the one that we're all stuck in and we're all frustrated with, on one side you've got fear. I have to wear a mask because I'm scared I'm getting covid on the other side, you've got, I have to not get a vaccine because I'm scared I'm going to die and grow three heads, right? Fear lies on both sides of the spectrum. We've got it when we look at politics. It needs to be a Republican because if it's not a Republican, I fear that the world is going to go to pot. And over here, it needs to be a Democrat because if it's not a Democrat, the world is going to go to pot, right? It's fear that is uh, underlying a lot of what we're doing. As a, as a culture, we've lost the ability to listen to someone that's different to us, to engage with someone that's different to us. We've lost the ability to see under the surface of the issues that are going on. We live in a city that celebrates diversity in all its forms. Uh, we're surrounded by people who uh, don't understand their identity. You've got people riddled by fear. You've got people questioning their identity. You've got people trying to figure out in a season like this their purpose. I've been stuck in a dead-end job. What does God want me to do with my life? I have family issues. How do I reconcile with the people around about me that don't see the world the same as I do? I see all of these areas of brokenness in the world around about us. And one way that we can look at that is we look at it and say, the world is terrible. What a miserable place. Let's all move to Scotland where these issues don't exist. <laughs> if only that was true. New Zealand, that's where they don't exist, right? Um, in one sense, we can say, like, yeah, it's, it's a pessimistic view of the world that looks out there and says, where's the hope? Let's judge the people around about us. Let's criticize them. Let's write them off and let's huddle up together that we've got it figured out. We've got the answers and we're just going to stay away from the rest of the world. Or we can heed Jesus' words. The harvest is plentiful. Where you meet someone who's riddled by fear, we have the faith that counteracts their fear. Where you meet someone who's confused about their identity, we have the ultimate identity as the beloved of God that he wants to bring to them. When you meet someone that's crippled by anxiety and depression, we get to introduce them to the Prince of Peace, who has a peace that transcends all understanding that can guard their heart and their mind. When we're looking at people that are struggling to figure out purpose and, and what their meaning is in this world as, as they look at the job they're in and they feel stuck or they've lost a job and they don't know what to go, we have the ultimate purpose to invite people into. 
Um, so we can look at the world round about and say, it's going to pot, it's a horrible situation, let's just uh, huddle up and hunker down. Or we can say the harvest is plentiful. God, give us the eyes to see the ways that the people round about us are hungry for you. Give us the wisdom to know how to take the truths that you've given us so that we can give it to the people round about us. Teach us to love the unlovely and reach the unreachable and touch the untouchable so that we can offer the hope that they're longing for. The harvest is plentiful. That's the reality. Whether we're talking about here in our neighborhood or whether we're looking out across the, the countries of the world, we could put up a map and look at all the countries of the world. The harvest is plentiful. Uh, I mean, in a church this size, the places in the world that you have visited, you've seen it. You've seen the hunger for Jesus around the world. You've seen the lack of the gospel in places. You've seen the conditions that people live in and the brokenness that they're caught in. The harvest is plentiful everywhere. Are we gonna step in to the work of the harvest? The problem is not that there's no harvest. The problem is there's not enough workers who recognize that the harvest is plentiful and are willing to step out into it. Point number two that I want to pull out here, I'm kind of going to do this a little bit backwards actually, but part number two in here, effective mission. If we want to be a church that's effective in mission, effective mission starts in prayer. Hands up if you've heard me say something like this already. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, yeah, this is not just a me thing. Like harping on about prayer is not just a me thing, it's a Jesus thing. It's not just an Alliance Bible Church thing, it's a church thing right? We're very good at coming up with our own ideas. We're very good at doing our own thing in the world, and we're very good at doing a lot of sin in the process. Um, if we want mission to be effective, we don't want to just sit uh, and come up with our ideas and run it into the world. It starts with prayer. It's birthed in understanding that he's the one in charge of all, and we need to come to him. It's birthed in the prayers that I was just praying. God, help us to see the people out there. Help us to understand the needs that are there. Help me to understand my own brokenness. Help me to understand my own giftedness, and give me the power to be able to go out there. Give us the collective unity to rally around some initiatives. Give us the empowerment to be out there in the world. Give us the effectiveness at sharing the gospel. So it all starts in prayer. And, and Jesus says it, you know, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, this is the state of the issue. There are lots of people out there in need of the gospel, there are not enough people willing to step out and do it. So Jesus instructs them, not go fix the problem, start in prayer. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Uh, are you asking the Lord to send out laborers into the harvest? Is that part of your everyday prayer vocabulary? And then with that, I'll caution you. It's a scary prayer because often when you pray, God will use you to answer your own prayer. Hey God, would you provide that single mom down the street doesn't have enough money for groceries, would you provide? Oh, dang it. <laughs> um, if you start praying, God, give us laborers for the harvest field, if you make that your intentional and fervent prayer, there is no option other than God changing your heart and giving you an urgency and a burden for the harvest. Um, so as a church, we're going to be stepping into some things that are helping us to cultivate that burden for the community. It's why every Sunday for about 40 minutes before the service, we get here and we pray together. We start by declaring the goodness of who God is. 
We confess our brokenness individually and as a church. We pray for what God's going to do here, and then we're praying for the community around about us because we're asking God to break our hearts for what is going on around about us, and we're asking God to send people out as laborers in the harvest field. So just know this. There are some people in the world right now who God is calling to be his laborer, to take the gospel, perhaps to their neighbor, or there are people sitting in churches this morning that are awaiting a moment where God is going to call them to give up their life here in the U.S. to go to the ends of the earth to live in a jungle and minister to a tribe that's never heard of him. The obstacle between that person and the activity that they're called into is your prayers. Again, I've said this before, God doesn't like to do things in the world outside of human partnership, so he puts it on our hearts to intercede for laborers to be sent out. And as we pray, he releases calling into people's lives that changes the, the, the world around about us. Um, effective mission always starts in prayer. So we want to be a church rooted and grounded in prayer that every decision that we make and every initiative that we step into is rooted in prayer and birthed from that so that we know that we're following his will and not walking in our own. Number three, effective mission sees the needs. Sometimes we're like, let's spiritualize it. God needs to reveal stuff to us. But there's part of this is very human and earthy. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the need in the world around about us, about him at that time. He looked and he saw that they were walking in rebellion to God. He saw the sin that they were engaged in, the, the sexual immorality. He saw the, the idolatry. He saw the direct disobedience. He saw the divisions and the bitterness, the murder, the hurt, the lying, the hatred. He saw all. He looked at them, and, and his assessment wasn't, what a horrible group of people. Let's just give up and go home. And like, right? <laughs> Wait, he could have done, and he did eventually. Um, but he saw it, and he said, I see that they're harassed and helpless, but what's the issue? They're like sheep without a shepherd. And again, we look at the world around about us, we see the need, but often what happens is rather than seeing the need and then going, they're without a shepherd, perhaps God is asking me to take some time to shepherd some people. We see the need and the harassed and helpless, and we start judging. Oh, if they didn't dress like that, if they didn't talk like that, if they didn't vote like that, if they didn't spend their money that way, if they weren't living on the streets, if they weren't doing drugs, if they weren't doing those things, life would be better for them. If we can just get them in the church, get them off to college, turn them into white middle class, all will be good. <laughs> and that, that's kind of the posture that we walk in where God is, like Jesus walked around, he saw the needs in front of him. And he saw the needs and the needs as he saw it, he did something inside of him and it motivated his action. And so what we've got to do is, is start opening our eyes as we're looking at the world around about us. What are the needs that we see? As you interact with neighbors and friends and relatives, what are the needs that you see? What are the ways they're harassed and, and helpless? As you look citywide or, or nationally, what are the needs? Some people would say this country is harassed and, and, and helpless and needs a shepherd. On the other side, people are like, it's harassed and helpless, and they need a better shepherd, right? So <laughs> the answer is not, let's wait on some external entity coming in to shepherd the people around about. The answer is, they're harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So ask God to send a laborer in, and chances are he's going to equip you 
and call you to be the shepherd that that demographic of people are needing. It's a little bit scary, so maybe you're not going to want to pray this prayer, but God wants you to step in. He wants us as a church. Like, he took Alliance Bible Church, plopped us down in the middle of a neighborhood, and he's saying, the people around this building are harassed and helpless. They need a shepherd. The ultimate shepherd they need is Jesus. His body is the church, and so we are the shepherd that he's calling to bring them peace, to lead them into quiet waters, to help them feed and be nourished in him so that ultimately they can put their hope in him. So the harvest is plentiful. Effective mission starts in prayer. Effective mission sees the need. Fourth, effective mission is spurred by compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So again, he saw the need and his response was not judgment, His response was not fear. His response was not criticism. His response was not run away and hide. He allowed himself to feel the brokenness of the world around him, and it stirred compassion. And we know all the way through Scripture, the language of being compelled by love, compelled by the Spirit, moved by the Spirit, moved by compassion. It's all the way through the Gospels that this is the way he worked in the world. So we've got to change our posture. We can go, look at this situation. The homeless issue is horrible. What, uh, our government is a mess. What a terrible thing. And, and we're just going to write off Portland's a mess. We're going to move somewhere else, right? That can be our posture. Or we can say, look at the issue. Homelessness is terrible. There are all of these camps of people without jobs, without hope, without identity, without income, without the medical care to sort their mental conditions. What does it look like for us as a church to shepherd that group of people? and bring healing and wholeness into their midst? Are we allowing God to move compassion in us, uh, or are we going to sit in judgment and criticism? And we've got to wrestle with that. You know your natural disposition. Some people are more naturally compassionate than others, and you hear the sad story, and it elicits tears and and heartfelt moments. And some of us, you you know the way. You've got a hardened heart, and when you see things like that, your heart is hardened towards that issue, and we just criticize and it's like, God, wipe it all out. Just take, whip, whip us up. Jesus, come back. Rapture us all. And just let these people uh, disintegrate and, and, and go that direction. Are you someone that has been spurred by compassion? Part of this, though, is what God does in us. Romans 5.5, 5, God pours his love into our hearts by the Spirit whom he's given us. If we want to be people who are moved by compassion in the world, we have to be people that are regularly being filled by the Spirit, filled by the love of Jesus to break our heart for the world in such a way that it motivates us to do something about it. Uh, one of the beautiful things about this church, if you're newer to the church, you, you've not gotten to see this, but there are a lot of people in this church that are very generous and very caring, visiting people who are sick, providing groceries to people who need it, um, just off their own backs, paying rent for people, bringing people off the streets into their home. This is a church that feels compassion and is moved by it. And that's one of the things that we want to harness as a church, that we continue to allow God to break our hearts for more areas that we can collectively come together, pull our resources, and bring change into the world. Number five, effective mission sparks as we go. Uh, there's some really neat parts in in this whole section of Matthew. But, I mean, this passage we're looking at, you know, Jesus went through all the towns, and as he's going about doing his stuff, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion because he saw their condition. And he says, the harvest is plentiful, so send out laborers. So Jesus is just out there doing his thing, 
And in the middle of his everyday life in ministry, he's encountering God's spirit stirring in him as he reveals the needs round about. Um, I wanna jump back to Matthew 7 because there's a little kind of pattern is happening here in this section of Matthew's gospel. So if you know, if you know Matthew's gospel well, you've got the introductory story, Jesus' birth, the, the genealogy in his birth, you've got him going off into the wilderness to be tempted, you've got his baptism, and then all of a sudden it moves into the Sermon on the Mount where he gives these great instructions. But right at the Sermon on the Mount, he's setting up the, the chapters that are about to come. So this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain comes down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock with a capital R. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So he's just given this huge sermon to a group of people uh, about the heart condition we need to have as we're walking in the world. And then he, he hits them at the end. You've got to hear these words and act on it. We can't just hear it and then sit around worshiping Jesus. We've got to go out there and do something about this. And then from there, that's the end of chapter 7. Chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10 is just demonstration after demonstration after demonstration of Jesus doing this. And so when I say effective mission sparks as we go, I just want to run through uh, part of Matthew's gospel here on the lead up to the passage that we're in. So this is the as we go of Jesus and the miracles he's doing. So 8.1, when he came down from the mountainside, a man with leprosy is brought to him and he prays for him and he's healed. When he enters Capernaum, uh, the, the centurion comes running up. My, my, my servant is, needs you and, and, and uh, Jesus issues authority, and there's healing. Uh, when he arrives at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law is sick in bed. He sees the need. He prays for her, and she's healed. Uh, 16, when the eve evening comes, many were brought to him who were demon-possessed, and he drove out the spirits. He's just, he's just living his day. Uh, 23, when evening came, uh, he gets in a boat. Suddenly, there's the violent storm that's, that's going to take out the disciples, and so he rebukes it, uh, his authority over the demonic. Um, when he arrives at the other side in chapter 20, in verse 28, uh, he finds this demon-possessed man, and you've got the story of Legion where he heals him, and, and the demons go at the pigs, and they go running off the mountainside. 9-2, uh, he gets in his boat, he crosses over, and just then someone brings him a paralytic man, seeing their faith and seeing his need. He says, your sins are forgiven, and heals him. Uh, in 9-9, Jesus goes on from there, he sees Matthew sitting he sees this man who's caught up in the Roman situation. He's, he's uh, rejected by his peers. And what does Jesus do? Come follow me. You're purposeless. Let me give you purpose and mission in this world. Uh, in, in 18, he's, when he's saying these things, uh, a synagogue leader comes and kneels before him and says, look at my daughter. Uh, and so he prays and the daughter is healed. In the middle of that, a woman comes running up who has a blood issue. Uh, she touches the hem of his robe and is healed. Uh, 27, when he goes on from there, two blind men come following him, calling out, have mercy on us. And then at the end of the chapter, as they're going out, demon-possessed men come running up, and Jesus rebukes them, and they're healed. And then you get to the verses that we're looking at today. After all of that, he's walking around. People are coming up to him. He's seeing brokenness. He's seeing illness. He's seeing healing. He's seeing mental health issues. He's seeing purposeless people. With everything he sees, he acts in the authority that God's given him. 
And then it says Jesus continued going around all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. You've just witnessed me walking from place to place, seeing every issue of brokenness and ministering the healing power of God into those situations. There's not enough workers. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And like I said, very next verse. So Jesus goes up in the mountain and he calls 12 and he gives them the authority to go out. And then we see in Luke's gospel that he takes the 12, and then he takes the 72, and then he takes the 120, and he sends them all out to do this work of ministering to the broken that are out there. I want to finish with one more, number six, which is this, effective mission stays humble. I think sometimes we need to be reminded of the posture of Jesus in doing this. This is Philippians 2. Paul tells us to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And then we know that he goes on to, to die on the cross and he's raised to the right hand of the Father. But Jesus doesn't take his, his situation, his value, his worth, his status as something to grab hold of but empties himself, takes on a serving posture, and that's what he did walking in the world. So as you're walking through Matthew's gospel and you're seeing all of these moments where someone in front of him has a need, Jesus' posture is serve. You have a need, I'm gonna serve you. You need healing, I'm gonna give it to you. You lack purpose, I'm gonna call you to follow me, and I'm gonna be your teacher, and I'm gonna be your shepherd, and I'm gonna be your, 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 uh, your leader in the middle of this. So if we wanna be effective at mission, we have to stay humble. And why I wanna finish here is because of these two, these two practices under this principle being sent to the world. In order to be effective at mission, we have to have the humble posture of a learner. We have to come into the community saying, what are the needs? Not what does Alliance Bible Church think the needs are, that's part of it. What do the school districts say the needs are? What does the local government say the needs are? What does the local pregnancy center say the needs are? Yeah, what does the Latino community here say the needs are? What does the black and Indian and Asian and First Nations communities in our city say the needs are? So we've got to be humble enough to have a learning posture and go to people and say, hey, help us understand the needs so that we can help meet them. We have to have a learning posture that says, I see a demographic of people that are broken living values that I don't agree with. I'm going to be humble enough to come to them and say, help me understand why you see the world the way that you do. Help me understand why you hate the church as much as you hate the church. We have to be willing to learn. And then when it comes to short-term mission or long-term mission, and we're sending missionaries overseas to new communities, we don't say, hey, we're going to plant a church down the street, and we're just going to take some people from here and dump you in a community, and we know how it's done. And we don't go, we're going to pick you up, and we're going to send you to Uzbekistan, and we're going to plop you down, and you're going to bring the American gospel and the American church to the people in this nation. We have to go in with a learning posture. Where is God at work in this community? What are the needs that he wants to minister to in order to pave the way for the gospel? Where are the evidences of the gospel already in the culture so that we can partner with what God is already doing to help carry the work forward? One of my prayers uh, since I started here, I pray every single week for the church. I believe that God is going to take people from this church and send them to the ends of the earth. Like we're, we're the Christian Missionary Alliance. 
So we care about mission. I pray every week that God will bring people here and that sitting in our services, people will hear the call of God to abandon the life that they have to go to the ends of the earth and be willing to die for the gospel. I pray every week that that in our kids' ministry, there are kids that are not old enough to understand that God's calling is on their life to leave and go to the ends of the earth. There are kids that haven't even been born yet. I mean, some of y'all in here that aren't married and don't have kids, like, God is planning something in the future where one of your kids is going to be called to go to the ends of the earth for the gospel. I am praying that near and far, this is a place where we understand our calling, where we hear the voice of God as he sends us out into the world, and we become a church that in Portland is extremely effective at asking the Lord for laborers, at raising them up, and that we would always be the people ready to answer our own prayer so that God can send us out into the world to do the work that he's called us to do. Mission is at the heart of our denomination. It's at the heart of our church. It's at the heart of discipleship. Will we be a church that arises in mission? So what I want to do to close today, I want to, I want to play a video um, that's, that's called The Vision. Uh, and this is a beautiful uh, image. It's a spoken word written by Pete Gregg, who founded 24-7 Prayer. It's a beautiful picture of the huge vision that God has for what the church can look like in the world. And so I want to finish with this, uh, just to kind of inspire our hearts. Then we'll go into worship, we'll eat some food, and allow this to fuel your thinking as we walk into the brainstorming session and what God might want us to do. So let's play the video. So this guy comes up to me and says, what's the vision? What's the big idea? I open my mouth and words come out like this. The vision. The vision is Jesus. Obsessively, dangerously, undeniably, Jesus. The vision is an army of young people. You see bones, I see an army. And they are free from materialism. They laugh at nine to five little prisons. They could eat caviar on Monday and cross on Tuesday. They wouldn't even notice. They are mobile like the wind. They belong to the nations. They need no passport. People write their addresses in pencil and wonder at their strange existence. They are free, yet they are slaves of the hurting and dirty and dying. What's the vision? The vision is holiness that hurts the eyes. It makes children laugh and adults angry. It gave up the game of minimum integrity long ago to reach for the stars. It scorns the good and strains for the best. It is dangerously pure. 
Light flickers from every secret motive, every private conversation. It loves people away from their suicide leaps, their Satan games. This is an army that will lay down its life for the cause. A million times a day, its soldiers choose to lose that they might one day win the great well done of faithful sons and daughters. Such heroes are as radical on Monday morning as Sunday night. They do not need fame from names. Instead, they grin quietly upwards and hear the crowds chanting again and again, come on! And this is the sound of the underground, the whisper of history in the making. Foundations shaking, revolutionaries dreaming once again. Mystery is scheming in whispers, conspiracy is breathing. This is the sound of the underground and the army is disciplined. Young people who beat their bodies into submission. Every soldier would take a bullet for his comrade at arms. The tattoo on their back boasts for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Sacrifice fuels the fire of victory in their upward eyes. Winners. Martyrs, who can stop them? Can hormones hold them back? Can failure succeed? Can fear scare them or death kill them? And the generation prays like a dying man with groans beyond talking. With warrior cries, sulfuric tears, and with great barrel loads of laughter, waiting, watching 24, 7, 3, 6, 5. Whatever it takes, they will give, breaking the rules, shaking mediocrity from its cozy little hide, laying down their rights and their precious little wrongs, laughing at labels, fasting essentials. The advertisers cannot mold them, Hollywood cannot hold them. Peer pressure is powerless to shake their resolve at late night parties before cockerel cries. They are incredibly cool, dangerously attractive inside, and on the outside, they hardly care. They wear clothes like costumes to communicate and celebrate but never to hide would they surrender their image or their popularity they would lay down their very lives swap seats with the man on death row guilty as hell a throne from an electric chair with blood and sweat and many tears with sleepless nights and fruitless days they pray as if it all depends on God and live as if it all depends on them their DNA chooses Jesus he breathes out and they breathe in their subconscious sin they had a blood transfusion with Jesus Their words make demons scream in shopping centers Don't you hear them coming? Herald the widows, summon the losers and the freaks Here comes the frightened and the forgotten With fire in their eyes they walk tall and trees applaud Skyscrapers bow, mountains of the wharf By these children of another dimension Their prayers sounds of heaven And invoke the ancient dream of Eden And this vision will be, it will come to pass, it will come easily, and it will come soon, how do I know? Because this is the longing of creation itself, the groaning of the spirit, the very dream of God. My tomorrow is his today, my distant hope is his 3D, and my feeble whispered faithless prayer invokes a thunderous, resounding, bone shaking, great amen. From countless angels, from heroes of the faith, from Christ himself. And he is the original dreamer, the ultimate winner, guaranteed.
The vision is Jesus. The vision is holiness that hurts the eyes. The vision is an army of young people who are advertising can't mold them, where Hollywood can't hold them. The vision is dangerously, obsessively, uncompromisingly Jesus. That's the vision that I want us to walk in. That's the hope I want us to have. It's the belief that I want us to to fight for. Um, That God can use us, a little group of people sitting in a church on Bentley Street, to start to impart that vision to the world around about us so that we see the change of lives that our hearts are longing for. Uh, Why don't you join me on your feet? We're going to sing some songs over our city. Songs of hope, of transformation, of redemption. Uh, So as we sing these, more than ever, make these your prayers as we ask God to move.